Om Sam Saraswati Namaha, Namaste, Namaste. And this evening on page 75, we're going to talk about the meaning and the application of Shri Ganesh Chalisa. And remember, Chalis means 40. And we were just discussing the 40. And there's 40 verses, a Chalisa means adventures. And so you have 40 verses which describe the adventures, da -dum, da -dum, the adventures of the respected Ganesh. Victory to the Lord of the multitudes who always exemplifies the qualities of purity, whose word is regarded as grace by inspired poets. He takes away all obstacles, is the cause of all welfare. Victory, victory to the son of the daughter of the mountain. <laughs> very, very. JJ Girija Lal. She, he is the Lal of Girija, who is the daughter of the Giri, of the mountain. Victory, victory, victory to the Lord of the multitudes, King of the multitudes, who grants welfare to all and is the cause of all pure actions. If you don't have wisdom, it's hard to work with purity. You just don't have clarity. You don't know what to do. Victory to he with an elephant's head. We, we, we'd already told the story how he lost his head. I lost mine a long time ago, but Shiva was not so gracious as to give me anything back. Who always grants comfort to all, who is the leader of the worlds and granter of knowledge. He has a bent tusk or a broken tusk. Uh, and radiates purity. On his forehead he wears the three marks of Shiva that's called Tripundra. And the uh, various marks, uh, Tripundra stands for the Brahma, Vishnu, Mahesh, Auma, Emrein, Kling. All the threes are in harmony just like the Trishul. Uh, he wears the three marks of Shiva which create the attitude of strength in the mind. When you have unity, when you have harmony, you have strength in your mind. He wears a garland of gems and pearls and on top of his head is a crown of gold. He has large eyes. Uh, elephants never have large eyes. Elephants don't have? Never large eyes. But Ganesh does. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's got big eyes. Uh, he has a book in his hand, a good reader, and a sharp trident. Ah, Couture Trishul. Ah, a sharp trident. Uh, he files his trident, makes it the edges sharp. He enjoys sweets, my kind of guy, and fragrantly scented flowers. His body is clothed in a beautiful yellow cloth. Sometimes it has a red border around it. Uh, and men of wisdom keep their minds fixed upon the wooden shoes on his feet. Those are called paduka. Uh, ah, paduka, charan paduka. Karam. Ah. He is the son of Shiva, the brother of the one with six faces. That was Kartikeya. We talked about the, the, the six faces, the, the, the five Kritikas and Ganga. Uh, with the darling of Gauri, who is celebrated by the universe. 
prosperity and attainment, riddhi and siddhi, uh, attainment to perfection, fan him with yaks, tails, or chamars. Uh, remember the chamar stands for uh, that which whisks away the pest, which disturbed the mind. It also is, goes back and forth and sometimes it's this way and that way. And chamar as an ashura means wandering to and fro. He just can't make a commitment, he can't make a sankalpa, he cannot define his goal. So they wave that charmer which whisks away all the pests and they free him to focus on his goal. He rides upon a mouse who stands at the door. We told the story about Crunch, uh, the Gandharva who was cursed to become uh, an Ashura, and he decided the only way to be freed from the curse was to be re rescued by Ganesh. So he destroyed Parashar's ashram, and Ganesh came to save the, the, the Rishis, and so the, he caught Crunch and turned him into a mouse. And that became his Bahan, his character, carrier. It is said that the story of your birth is a cause of complete purity, emancipation, and welfare. I don't know who said that, but it is. it has been said. Uh, I can't tell you exactly where that quote came from, but it has, Kahon Janma, yep, it, it has been said, or it is said. Uh, one time the daughter of the king of the mountains, that's Girija, uh, yeah, Giri Rajkumari, that's good, fine, Giri Rajkumari, performs severe spiritual disciplines, putra hetu, in, for the motivated, motivated by the objective, the goal of having a son in, in, in order to have a child. All right, putra hetu, tap kinha kumari. Uh, so she, she did this uh, severe, this body tap. Uh, uh, and she, uh, for the, she, kinha bari tap hetu putra. If you go backwards, you can get all the, 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 the meanings in, in word order. Uh, just when her sacrifice was full and complete, you arrived wearing the form of a twice-born Brahmin. He looked like a little Brahmin boy, actually, uh, before he lost his head. Uh, it happens to the best of us. Knowing you to be her guest, Gauri, she who is rays of light was greatly delighted and in many ways she served you. Atiti Jani, she knew that you were her guest. I mean, you just showed up there. She was or she was shaping your form and she did this to Pashyan. She took the sandal paste and she made it into the form of Ganesh and then she breathed life and... Oh, and she breathed this life and she breathed this soul into this murti that she had just constructed with her own hands and he became alive like a little brahmin boy. And she was very, very pleased, and she started serving him as a guest. Becoming very pleased, you gave her the boon, Mother, Mom, whoever will perform this tapasya will become blessed with a child. So if anybody, anybody wants to have kids, this is one of the vidis that will bless them with kids. You'll worship Gornesh, you'll worship Shiva, Shiva, Parvati, Gauri, Mahesh, Lakshmi, Gornesh. 
uh, that's the tradition. Lakshmi Ganesh, Gauri Mahesh, then you get all, this is the BD for the accomplishment of many, many objectives, especially Putrahetu, or the Putreshti Yag. This is the, the, the supreme, uh, the, the Yagya, which brings about the supreme child. Or which pleases the supreme in order to have a child. That also is a putreshti. Uh, now you will get a son with a tremendous intellect without even becoming pregnant. Ah, good trick. Uh, I think Mother Mary tried that too. Uh, she, she got a son with, with the same uh, tremendous intellect and didn't even become pregnant. Bina Garbadaran. She didn't get pregnant. She didn't have a. She didn't have to support a womb or a fetus in the womb. Uh, he will be the leader of the multitudes, first of good qualities and wisdom, the form of God to be worshipped first. And now, uh, so it, it, mother is getting this boon uh, when she did the tapasya. Thus speaking, his form dissolved within, and in a moment he assumed the form of a child. So Ganesh came as a Brahman, he gave her the boon, whoever does this tapasya for the purpose of having a child will be blessed with a child, and your child especially will be the leader of the multitudes, Gananayak. Gananayak. He will also be the Ganapati, the Lord of the multitudes. He will also be Ganesh, the Ishwar of all the Gana. He will be the supreme of all the multitudes. Thus speaking, his form dissolved within, and in a moment, he assumed the form of a child. He became an infant child, and when his crying was heard, there was nothing to compare with the delight that was displayed on Gauri's face. <laughs> ah, hearing all that noise of a crying child, she got really happy. All sang songs, intoxicated with delight. All exuded the greatest joy in singing praise and raining flowers. Shambhu and Uma gave many gifts. The gods and the multitude of wise men came to see the divine child. So Shambhu, of course, is Shiva, the giver of bliss, or the giver of peace, or the purveyor of peace. Uma, the mother of all circumstances, another name of Parvati. Uh, Shakti, uh, uh, the divine mother and divine father. They all blessed everybody. Everybody could give plus blessing everybody. And wise men came to see the divine child. All could see that the divine child was blessed with great bliss and welfare, and then the king Saturn came. That is a wrong story. It's a wrong story? No, Mom, it's a different story. The one you saw on television doesn't follow the scripture. Yeah, I know. This is not from Shiva Purana. This is from Ganesh uh, 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 Chalisa. Saturn recognized the bad qualities in his own mind and did not desire or he had hesitation to see the divine child. So he did not desire to see the child. He was afraid his kudrishti, his, his bad perception would affect the child. So he hesitated to see the child. 
The daughter of the mine, mountain, that's Girija, she expressed her mind asking Satter, do you disapprove of this festival? We're celebrating the birth of my child and you disapprove? And she asked Saturn, whose mind was filled with desire, won't you see my child? I can't believe, Uma, that he is yours, said Saturn when he saw the child. Saturn's light illuminated the farthest reaches in all directions and the head of the child flew off into the heavens. So Sunny gave such an illumination that uh, 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 Ganesh lost his head. The daughter of the mountain fell to the ground and she was in so much pain that it could not be any worse. I, she was really mad. Great sounds of distress permeated Kailash because Saturn had slain the son of the Divine Mother. Immediately Vishnu came flying on Garud and he cut the head of an elephant with his discus and brought it with him. It was placed upon the torso of the child and Shankar recited the mantra which bestows life. That's Sanjeevani. And then Shiva gave him, gave him the name Ganesh and the boons of wisdom and of being first to be worshipped. So and when Shiva gave him a new head and he instilled life within the new child and then I mean, now he's got a, an elephant's head he needs Pranvatisht again. Uh, and then he gave him the boon, you'll be wise and you'll be the first one to be worshipped. Shiva had a contest to see who would be the first to circumambulate the earth. Kartike, the one with six heads, moved quickly while Ganesh, his brother, thought the matter over. <laughs> he bowed to the feet of his mother and father and then he circumambulated them. Shiva was very pleased with Ganesh and flowers fell in a rain from above. The contemplation of your greatness expands intelligence. With Sheshnag, the serpent of infinite energy with a thousand mouths, he is unable to sing. <laughs> now what will we do with one mouth? How can we sing? If Sheshnag, who has a, a thousand mouths, can't sing your praise, how much can we sing? I am extremely lowly, dirty, and filled with pain, even though I showered before coming to temple. By which method can I humble myself before you? Uh, well, uh, I took a shower, but you know what? There must be some dirt on me, either outside or inside. I'm not sure which he's talking about. Maybe I have a dirty mouth, durmuk, or a dirty mind, or I'm just I'm just reading this, Mom. I didn't write it. I only translated it. I am Ram Sundar Prabhudash in the Kakra Durvasha section of the city of Prayag, singing your praise. Well, I, 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 I am Ram, that's Sundar, uh, and uh, that's uh, Krishna, and Prabhu Das, and I, I am the, the servant of the Lord, in the Kakra Durvasha section of the city of Prayag, uh, I am singing your praises. Now, O oh Lord, giver of compassion, give me more devotion and energy. This is the song known as the Adventures of Ganesh, 
Whoever will recite these 40 verses with attention will eternally reside in the house of welfare and become the recipient of respect in this world. In the Sanskrit year 1010, hmm, let me just look that up uh, quickly. I think this is the Sanskrit year. I don't have the year here. Yeah, 13 something. So it must have been at least three or four hundred years ago. Uh, on the fifth day, Rishi Panchami, uh, of the fifth day of the Rishis, these ancient 40 verses have been recited in praise of Ganesh, the image of welfare. And thus, Iti Ganesh Chalisa. Okay, I would like to go on tonight and talk a little bit about the tantric philosophy and the 36 principles because whoever wrote this book took it upon themselves to put in a little essay about these 36 principles. And we've discussed them in the stories of Tatwagan. We've dis discussed it in the stories of Siva Puja. We've discussed it many times in many books and still it remains a core, a mool shiksha, a core teaching of our tradition and its understanding is extremely valuable. So let's go through this essay. I hope it won't take too long. We'll have questions. We'll have time for questions at the end. In Tantra philosophy, there are 36 principles. They begin with Sada, Shiva, and Shakti. These are two separate principles, but they are united as one. Sada, Shiva is pure consciousness, while Shakti is pure energy. Ishwara is the principle of union between Shiva and Shakti, Ardhanarishwar, both male and female. So these are three, Sadashiva, Shakti, and Ishwar. Now, then comes Shuddha Vidya, pure knowledge. You have seen the picture of Shiva with eyes just barely starting to open when Shiva says, I have a feeling that there is something else out there other than me. There may be something we'll call duality. And Maya is the next principle. He opens his eyes and says, yes, she is different from me. There is something other. Duality, Maya. Sadashiva, Shakti, Ishwara, Shudvidya, Maya. Maya is the next principle. She is different from me. I am Shiva, and there she is, the Divine Mother, the measurement or limitation of consciousness. Maya is perceived through punch five kanchukas. These are limitations or modes of perception. They are Kal, time, Niyati, space, Rag, Activity, being or becoming, vidya, knowledge of name and form, and kala, attributes. And these five kanchukas make ten principles in descending order from sadashiva, shakti, ishwara, shudvidya, maya, and five kanchukas, kal, niyati, rag, vidya, and kala. So then we have ten. Then comes Purush, the individual soul or consciousness, and Prakriti, the embodiment of nature. Now, Prakriti is comprised of 24 principles. Uh, Ahamkar is ego, the sense of I. Chitta is the totality of all cognition comprised of buddhi and manas. Buddhi means 
objective knowledge of what is, and in other words, all the nouns and verbs of experience. Mon means, on the other hand, is subjective knowledge or what we think about things. Monus describes or comprises the adjectives and adverbs. Buddhi says this is a book. Monus says this is a good book. The good is an interpretation of manas. Both together are chitta, the objective and subjective experience, the world as it is and the world as we think it to be, our relationship to it. These four together, ahamkar, chitta, buddhi, and manas are called the antakaran, the inner cause or inner sense. Then there are 20 principles which define the gross world and our relationship to it. Five of these principles are called tanmatras, which are the objects of perception, sight, smell, sound, smell, taste, and feel. Five are called mahabhutas, which are the essential elements of existence, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. Then there are the five organs of knowledge, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and skin, the gyanindriyas. And there are the five organs of actions, the karmindriyas, which are the upper appendages, lower appendages, tongue, reproductive organs, and the anus. And these principles disclose how divinity descended into manifested existence. And in order to go back to the origin, we must come and go by the same path. That's why we study this knowledge again and again and again. This is the road map. We put our body into such a harmony so as to control the organs of knowledge, close the nine doors to the city of God, control the karmendriyas, the organs of action, and the gyanendriyas, the organs of knowledge. We recommend, recognize the five elements of existence and their five objects of perception in the subtle body, earth, water, fire, air, ether, sight, sound, smell, taste and feeling, let your energy climb the chakras and put the 20 principles into the balance of harmony. Now put manas, buddhi, chitta into balance, control the ego, ahamkar, and this is the 24th principle. This is the body of prakriti, the body of nature expressed through the individual, pursued, perceived by purush, which is the 26th this Purusha has been perceived in time, space, activity, knowledge, and with attributes. By moving beyond these modes of perception, which constitute 31 principles, we move into Maya. And then we see Shiva in Shudvidya, faintly aware that there is another outside. Let him close his eyes. Ishwar is next, then Shokti and Sadashiva. And these are the 36 principles, which are the path to absorption in the unmanifest. Every being manifested and every moment that comes to birth, comes to birth because of our unfinished business. There is a, some reason that it comes into manifestation and the arrows we have shot will land. When the stimulus does come, do we act reflexively or do we control ourselves and design the response that will bring us closer to what we want in the furtherance of our goals? 
Do we know what we want? Or do we react emotionally? Are we not creating more karma for ourselves so that we, once again, we condemn ourselves to wait for those new arrows to land? Have I been saying the same thing for the last 42 years? Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm waiting for my arrows to land and then I'll stop saying it. It is evident that the difference between the yogi, the being of union, and the bogey, the being of selfish enjoyment, is that moment of discrimination which is the interlude between stimulus and response. There is a moment of recollection, a moment of remembrance, in which the yogi asks, what do I want to attain from these circumstances? Before I respond emotionally and get my ego involved in what I perceive to be a stimulus, before I even calculate the appropriate response, I must ask myself, what do I want to get? Only when I know what my objective is can I possibly consider the next question. What action of mine would bring me closer to that goal? There are four kinds of karma in existence. Kshamshipta is the karma which is completed over and done with. It is finished, it's past. There is nothing more left to be done. Vartman is the present karma. That karma which is going on right now, it is in process. Parabdha are the actions which were begun in the past, which will come to fruition in the future. And Shankaracharya uses the analogy of the arrow which leaves the bow of the archer. Once the arrow has set forth from the bow, there is nothing that the archer can do to alter its course but to watch and see where it may land. He has no control after it has left the bow. And this is what we call Karabdhakar. Every action is an arrow that has already been released and all of us are the actors waiting for our arrows to land. When our arrows land, if we act, if we react, we shoot another arrow. The arrows continue in rapid succession until we cultivate the spirit of renunciation known as Udas. U means circumstance. Das means the servant of, Udas literally and philologically means the servant of circumstances. It symbolizes acceptance, freedom from reaction, complete surrender. When one attains Udas, the spirit of surrendering, <clears throat> when one attains Udas, the spirit of surrendering, then there is total acceptance of every circumstance without the shooting of new arrows. We free ourselves from the reactions of desire or emulsion. We see all of the parabdha karma that commenced in the past and watch dispassionately as all those arrows land without firing again. The fourth kind of karma is known as nitya karma eternal karma, nitya karma actually means yoga. It is complete union. Yoga is defined as chitta vritti nirod. Chitta means the objects of awareness, the objects of consciousness. What do you see? What do you perceive? 
Vritti means activities or modifications, and nirod means prohibition, cessation, or obstruction. When there is a complete cessation of the activities or of the objects of consciousness, there is a perfectly still consciousness. When there is no modification or change, there is yoga union. Yoga is nitya karma, it is eternal. The activities which are eternal, chitta, riti, nirod, is the perfect stillness of consciousness without activities, modifications, or changes in awareness. Traditionally, there are four aspects of yoga. Dhyan, meditation, gyan, wisdom, bhakti, devotion, and karma, activity. These four are inseparably connected, but spoken of as four different disciplines so that seekers can intellectually understand the distinctions between them. However, in reality, without devotion, how can we pay attention? Without knowledge, how can we perform effective action? Without effective action, how can we gain knowledge? Thus, the four aspects of yoga are inseparably connected in the path of union and are not different disciplines, but actually the four components of one from the moment of conception in the womb, the life of duality begins. That first awareness of individuality comes as a result of prarabdha karma. We have a lot of outstanding debts. We have many arrows that have been shot off into the atmosphere and we are waiting for them to land. That is prarabdha karma. It is for the purpose of per perfecting that karma of fulfilling the destiny that we ourselves have created, that we have all taken birth. And then every moment of our lives takes birth as a consequence of the same Prabhupada We studied this in Kashyap Sutra. So every birth takes place because of Prarabdha Karma, the birth of every moment in time, the birth of every circumstance, and the birth of every being. It all takes place in the fulfillment of the process of karma, Prarabdha Vashat Jangal. We took birth because of unfinished business. Now, all birth takes place in order to finish karma, the birth of every reaction, the birth of every relationship, the birth of every moment, the birth of everybody. That is our function, our purpose. We are all bound by unfinished karma. With this knowledge, it behooves us to perform every action as thoroughly and efficiently as possible so we don't have to come back to finish our incomplete work. Bound by unfinished karma is birth, which is the birth of every action, every moment. To attain freedom from reaction, we must remember that the parabdha karma is the arrow that is coming to land. When it lands and hits its mark, then we react and send off another arrow. If only we could stop and look where it landed before we should start shooting off arrows again. If we must respond, we should give a response designed to free ourselves from further troubles. We should think about what we are going to do. Such discrimination would mean living life perfectly. 
Our responses should be calculated to take us to a better place than we are already at. Responses designed to accomplish our objectives. If we could just find some way to ask ourselves, what do I want to accomplish before I react? What do I want to get before I respond to this? What would be an appropriate response to design to get what I want? If we could just stop and put one instance of discrimination between the stimulus and the response, then we could live life perfectly. There are traditionally eight limbs of yoga. First one is called yam, take control. One takes control in life by defining goals. It is not possible to find a path until we know what the goal is. Without this knowledge, we cannot prevent ourselves from moving in the direction of any other force greater than our own. So we must begin the process of union with a clear definition of the goal. The second step in yoga is called niyam, which means to create a discipline. We must budget our time, budget our resources, budget our mind. How much can we dedicate in the pursuit of each of our goals? Without a clear definition of our goals and the discipline with which to attain them, it is impossible to have criteria with which to discriminate which actions will take us closer and which actions will actually take us farther away. Without criteria for discrimination, all actions become extremely arbitrary. We find no capacity to devote ourselves to the higher disciplines of putting our bodies, our breath, our senses, and ultimately our minds into harmony. How do you do that if you don't know what the goal is? The third step of yoga is called asan, putting the body in harmony. Asan literally means to sit quietly and to make oneself present. It does not necessarily mean to twist yourself up like a pretzel. Good. But that's only one small part. More often it refers to the practice of putting your body into such a state of harmony and balance that you no longer require to pay attention to it. The body in balance is free from need. And therefore, it sits quietly, allowing one to make oneself present. The primary reason for practicing various hatha yoga postures is to train the body to sit still. The fourth step of yoga is called pranayama, controlling the breath. The breath is a vehicle by which we rejuvenate the body, and a vehicle out of control is extremely dangerous. And therefore, we want to control the vehicle. By paying attention to the breath, we regulate the length of each cycle of inhalation, retention, and exhalation, and maintain vigilance over the qualities that are energizing our systems. There are several formulas for pranayama, depending upon the purpose. We will discuss some of the more classical means of controlling breath in greater detail later. We've talked about many of the different forms of pranayama already. The fifth step of yoga is called pratyahara, withdrawing the senses from the objects of sense. It means bringing your senses inside. 
Stop looking outside. Close all of your senses and look within. Then comes Dharan. Dharana, concentration. Collect all of the different thoughts in the mind and concentrate on one of them. In Dharana, there are three subject, object, and a relationship. I love you. And there is a lover, a recipient of the love, and the love which binds us together. In dhyana, meditation, the next step in the path of union, there are only two, the subject and the object. The relationship is understood. In meditation, there is an undefinable intuitive cognition. It is often curious to listen to people speak of meditation practices before they have organized their lives or defined their goals or established their discipline. Most probably, there is a confusion between introspection, daydreaming, and meditation. Undoubtedly, the practice and the attainment are described by the same word, but dhyana, as it applies to the path of yoga, refers to absorption in meditation. Samadhi means completion, accomplishment, the perfection of union. In samadhi, there is only there are three general areas of samadhi. The first is called Bob Samadhi. This is an intensity of awareness and attitude. In Bhava, three things exist. Subject to home, object form, and their relationship. For example, I am your devotee, or I love you. And there are two types of this samadhi described in Sanskrit literature. The first is called Salokya. Loka means world, in our usage it means a paradigm of reality. Sa means with or in the same world, in immediate proximity to each other, in the same paradigm of reality and togetherness. It could be physical or metaphysical, but there is a togetherness. We're on the same look, the same plane of reality. We are all in this plane of reality together. The second is called Samipya. We are performing the same karma. Just as you are doing, just so I am doing. I see you sitting there doing pranayama, breathing love into the universe, and I am sitting here performing the same pranayama, making chop of the same mantra, breathing the same love into the universe. You and I are one in the performance of the same activity. These are the two forms of Bhav Samadhi. The second kind of Samadhi is called Sabikopa, with an idea. Bikopa means idea and Sa means with. Sabikopa has two types of Samadhi. Sarupya means with form, Sarup, like Swarup. Sarup, with form. I have an idea that your form and my form are alike. I look at you and it is like looking in the mirror. You and I have the same form. I have an idea of a hum plum, but the relationship is understood. In Bob's Samadhi, there are three things, subject, object, and the union between them, their relationship. In Sabi Kalpa, there are two things, the subject and the object. There is a Prakash. 
and the relationship is not intellectual. Intuitively, I see Sarup. I am looking in the mirror. I see you, my deity, my perfect reflection. And Sadrishti means with perception. Just as I am perceiving just so, just perceiving you just so, you are perceiving me. Which one is the reality and which one the reflection? Who can say? There is no one else. There is no other relationship by which to define. The third type of samadhi is called nirbhikalpa. Nir means without, without an idea. There is only one form of nirbhikalpa called sayuj. Yuj means union, sa means with. The perfection of union, that is the Vedic sayings, aham brahmashmi, I am the one. Or tatvamasi, you are the one. It is all aham or it is all tvam, but there is no other option. So we have Baba, Savikalpa, Nirvikalpa, Salokya, Samipya, Sarupa, Sadrishti, Sayuj. These are the different forms of Prakash. Salokya is in the same paradigm of reality, Samipya in the same activity. Sarupa is having the same appearance, Sadrishti is having the same perception, Sayuj is, we are the same. And these are the five kinds of Prakash experienced in meditation. Remember, Prakash is an illumination. We begin our journey inwards from the Anamai Kosh, the world of Anu or atoms, that which is perceivable through the senses. And the Pranamai Kosh is the world of breath. The breath is the relationship between the outer world and the inner world. It is the avenue by which we bring in oxygen from the outside and put, on, put carbon dioxide from the inside out. And from the pranamaya kosh, we move to the pranamaya kosh, the world of concepts, ideas, thoughts. From the pranamaya kosh, we move to the vijnanamaya kosh, the world of light, the light of wisdom. All thoughts merging into the light of wisdom. From the Vijnanamaya Kosh, we take all the light of wisdom and merge it into the Anandamaya Kosh. Sat Chit Ananda. Truth, infinite consciousness, pure bliss. Remember the path by which we come is the means by which we return. From the Anandamaya Kosh, we move into the Vijnanamaya Kosh, take all the bliss, put it into the light of wisdom. From the Vijnanamaya Kosh, we move into the Manamaya Kosh, and take all the light of wisdom and illuminate all thoughts. Fill your thoughts with love and joy and beauty. Take all of those thoughts from the Manamaya Kosh and put them into the Pranamaya Kosh and exhale love and joy and wisdom and peace into the creation. These are the Pancha Kosh, the five sheets, the coverings or layers in order from their most gross to their most subtle forms. These are the avenues by which we bring our awareness from the outside world to the inside world. Prana is the avenue of ingress and egress, bringing our awareness inside by following the breath. Ganesh is the Lord of Wisdom, and he won the boon that he would be the first one worshipped in any rite of spiritual passage. Puja is the Nitya Karma, which allows us to retrace the steps from manifested existence to return to the unmanifest. 
It is true that without wisdom, it will be impossible for any seeker to unlock the doors to the secrets of enlightenment. Ganesh grants that boon. May he be pleased with our efforts and bless us all with the highest attainment. Om Well, that was a synopsis <laughs> of the last five books that we've studied. And just in ten pages, uh, we were able to recalculate or re uh, 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 to, to recognize and remember all of the steps of all the processes by which we bring our attention from the outside in and put our awareness in Satchit Ananda and keep it there. Wow, who made this? <laughs> Brahma. Brahma. <laughs> from, the, uh, from the day of creation. Now you're Brahma. <laughs> Om Sam Sarasvati Namaha. Namaste. Well, we have a few minutes left. Oh, we have a lot of time. We have enough time to uh, take some questions. Uh, let's start with this question. Uh, there was a question uh, about the Ganesh Mantra. And the mantra says, what is the meaning of Om Hrim, Om Srim Hrim Kling Glam Gong Ganapataye Bora Borada Sarvadyanamai Vashamanaya Shwaha? I don't know, but it's a nice mantra. Did you put it on your website? No, no, I didn't put it on the website. Uh, and it's a little bit different from the one I would put on the website, but it's close enough. You know, there are so many variations of all the mantras, depending on which text you look at. And so it's very easy to pick out mantras from off the internet and say, what's the meaning of this? <laughs> I'm not responsible. <laughs> Let me tell you, own the infinite beyond conception. Shreem is the highest respect, the highest wealth, peace in the mind and peace in the heart, the perfection of peace. Hreem is all of existence, every perception. Haas the gross body, Ra's the subtle body. He is the causal body, Anuswar is perfection. Om, the per perfect perception of all the peace in your mind and peace in your heart. Clean, cause the cause. Law is the gross body. E is the causal body. Anuswar is the perfection of the dissolution of all the, the withdrawal of all manifested existence into the causal body. Glaum uh, is the causative of Ganapati, Ganapati, Glaum Ganesh. Uh, and Glaum, Ga means wisdom, Law means manifestation, Aum, Aum, the, the wisdom of manifestation of Aum is Glaum. And Gamni is the Bij of Ganesh, and that is the, the supreme wisdom, the Lord of wisdom, Ganapataye Namaha. Om we bow to Ganapate, Ganapataye, we, uh, we uh, to Ganesh, to the Lord of the Gana, uh, the, to the supreme Lord of, of all the multitudes, the Lord of wisdom. Bora means give a boon. Borada, giver a boon. Sarva, all. Janama, may. All that.
that is born into me, or, or all that is born within me. Vashamanayak, control my mind, make my mind sit still. Swaha, swa means my own, and ha means Ishwar. Ishwar is my own. I rest my case. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, are there other questions? We have a question from Nanda. Yes, please. How does praying for another or doing puja on their behalf? Uh, another? Yeah, how does doing, how does praying for another or doing puja on the behalf of another ensure that the other person gets the benefit of the puja? Oh, how do we assure that our, the effects or benefits from our puja go, are received by another individual? And the first thing, Nandama, is your intention. Why are you doing this puja? I want the fruits of this puja to go to another individual. Now, that's your intention directs that energy towards the individual you want. With pure love. With pure love. The second thing is when you say the sankalpa, for example, this Swami says, Swami Satyananda Saraswati Chasrima Krita She is the doer of all the sankalpas that I perform, so she gets the benefit. My beloved gets the benefit, or any fruits accruing to me by means of this puja goes to the individual for whom I am including in the puja as a perpetrator. She's one of the perps. Huh? That does, uh, uh, she, she's doing, uh, she's a perpetrator of this puja. So that's a second way. Third way is I, in the Sankopa, I can say, uh, Sri Amukha, for the pleasure of such an individual, I am doing this puja. And then I can, I can uh, list them as a, a recipient of the respect from this puja. So those are three ways. But first and primary is your intention. What is, why am I coming? What's my purpose? What's the purpose of your visit here today? As soon as you define your goal, as soon as you define your sankalpa, as soon as you have a clear definition of your purpose, then they have already received the benefit of whatever you want to give to them. You, you're giving to them. As soon as you make the intention, you have the thought, I would like for a MOOC individual, such and such a person, to receive the benefits uh, that I, any spiritual any energy that I can send to them, that very intention is sufficient to declare them a beneficiary of your, uh, of your largest. Thank you. We have a question from Joshua. Namaste, Joshua. I am a child of God. It's very simple. Can you explain the meaning? <laughs> neti, neti, ask Nanda. <laughs> no, I, I, what does it mean to be a child of God? It means that everything you were conceived in purity for the purpose of manifesting divinity on this earth. Now every action which you perform is, you're required to be an example to all the children who don't remember that they're children of God, that they forget, they think I'm a child of mom and dad, I'm here to eat, drink, and dance the hoochie-coo, and I'm here to get as much as I can for myself as quickly as I can, so I can be respected as a holder of stuff. 
I, I don't know why, but you, you were told from the time you came out of mother's womb, they slapped you on your backside and said, you're an individual, go out and get an education, get a job and get some money and get some, be a big, be a big shot. And sometimes they spell it with an I. And they told you to do all this stuff. And you, we forgot that we're children of God. Now, how would a child of God act and react and interact in this world? Please show me. I would love to see. We have a question from Sadhana Shakti. Namaste, Sadhana. Pranam. How can we use the Ganesh Puja to cultivate humility? As soon as we begin to cultivate wisdom, humility automatically comes. We recognize that all of our knowledge is a drop in the bucket. And wisdom is as vast as the ocean. Now, I am accomplished. I have the accomplishments of one drop in the bucket. And wisdom is as vast as the ocean. What does my bucket mean to the ocean? The ocean will laugh at me strutting about with my bucket saying how important I am because I've accomplished wisdom. I have attained wisdom. I know! So as soon as we start to worship Ganesh and we see the infinity of his wisdom, we see the grandeur of his love. We see how he makes his love manifest in the world of human beings, in the world, in the Marchilok, in the world of all that comes into birth and, and goes out of birth manifestation. As soon as we see that, we can't help but understanding how small am I. And no matter which direction I turn, I'm going to find somebody who knows more than me. How can I get angry? How can I get frustrated? How can I get mad at the circumstances of life? We're all struggling to understand more and more and more. So by what right will I be offended by your lack of understanding? We're all struggling to understand more. Why will I be offended or, or consider a personal affront because you don't understand me? That sure cultivates a little bit of humility. We have a question from Vivekananda. Namaste, Vivek. Namaste. Is there another special day to perform Ganesh Puja other than Ganesh Chaturthi? Yes. Every day. First one to be worshipped in every puja. Namaste. If you do the cosmic puja, the first thing you're going to do is worship Ganesh. If you're gonna, if you do any puja, the first one you're gonna worship is Ganesh. So you want to meet, especially if you have any rite of passage, any celebration, any empowerment puja that you want to do to empower someone else. Lakshmi, Ganesh, Gauri, Mahesh, those four are going to be worshipped. They're going to be worshipped. No way you can't do it. So every day, every puja. We have a question from Kantananda. Namaste, Kanta. When I make an effort for discipline in one small aspect of my life, it seems like I suddenly have that discipline everywhere. And then the opposite is true, too. When one part falls away, suddenly many things are falling apart. Will you speak about this? <laughs> no, I exemplify it. If I strive in the path of perfection and I'm clear and I'm focused and I know my goal, I know my path and I know what has to be done and I have the 
I have faith and I have patience to make sure that I am working according to my plan. Everything clicks. And when I leave my plan and I leave my path and I leave my goal and I go off on this tangent, I go off on that tangent, and then one day I wake up and say, wait a minute, I'm unnecessarily depleting my resources. My time is going, my energy is going, my money is going. I have no, I have no accomplishment for all of my expenses. Oh, then I say, well, wait a minute. Let's get, let's regroup, let's refocus, let's re-get charged up again and focus again on the goal and move towards the goal and define the goal and take a new sankalpa and renewed vigor and renewed energy and I'm going to march forward. In Kanta, it's the same thing I feel over and over again every time I go into a state of despondency and I'm not enjoying life and things aren't working for me and what is the reason for that because because I've lost focus of my goal the reason is I've lost focus of my goal what do I want to do what do I want to contribute what do I want to become I got to become something Pretty soon I'm going to become dead, and then I can, I can stop becoming. But until that time, I've got to become something. I might as well direct what I'm going to become, unless I want other people to make me into what they think I should become. And I'll accept that. There are two choices. Either you've got a plan of your own, or you're going to fit into somebody else's plan. Those are the two choices. Either you've got your own plan or you're going to fit into somebody else's plan. So it, now, as soon as you feel that you're losing your focus and you're losing your inspiration and you're just kind of tolerating life and it isn't working for you, you better stop. Focus again. What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Where am I trying to go? And with that renewed commitment, you set off once again and try over again and again and again, and again until we make it. We have a question from Ramya. Namaste, Rami, mommy. When the world pulls us in many directions, how do we practice being udas and yet keep focused? on the highest goal. Rami, it starts with, we got to prioritize. The world is pulling us all the time into so many, I mean, we're all multitaskers. We're all purushas. We've got heads are brahmins, arms are kshatriyas, thighs are boishas, and feet are shudras. We've got to do it all. There's, I mean, this is modern day. I don't have anybody to say, oh, go do that for me. I got to do it. You want to eat, cook the food. You want to live in a clean house, clean to do the dishes. If you want to have food on the table, go to the store. If you want to get the money to go to the store, then go to work. I, you got to do it all. Get, nobody invited us. They didn't say, hey, would you like to come to the party? They said, here we are at the party. Now, you got to do it all. 
So now we have to prioritize every action, every day. We have to have a schedule that fits into our plan or you won't get it all done. If you just get a sudden inspiration, well, I'm just going to go to the store now. Well, wait a minute. You've got to take an inventory of what you need at the store. What store will you go to? Why will you go to this store today and that store tomorrow? Why can't you go to both stores in the same day? How much money do you need to take? What's your budget? What's your shopping list? What's your, what's your agenda? And this prioritization of functions and this hierarchy of uh, goals, Fits, makes a plan, and then all that plan has to fit into the master plan. What am I doing with my life? Am I only working so I can survive and surviving so I can work? Oh, what, a, what a disaster. That's horrible. Oh, wait a minute, I better have a better plan. That's not a good plan for a guy like me or a girl like you. So we're going to take all of these plans and we're going to put them into the master plan. We're going to see how each, all, all the component parts support each other. And then we're going to allow that budget, that young neom, to guide our lives. These principles have to guide our lives. We've got a master plan. We've got a budget. How much do I need? What do I have to go? What am I going to do when I get there? I need to have this information or I'm going to spend a lot of wasted time going back and forth. You know if you go to, to town to buy one thing and then you come back and bring the one thing back to the ashram and then you find you need something else and you go back to town and you bring another thing and you'll spend more on gasoline going to, back and forth to town than you will on the things that you need to buy. So we have to make ourselves into sadhus, which means efficiency. We will make ourselves efficient so we have a plan and a budget and a shopping list and a reason to go to town. And I can't go to town every day because I can't afford the gasoline. I can't afford the time. I cannot afford the luxury of being inefficient. So, Rami, I think that's how we will keep ourselves from being pulled in every direction at the same time. We'll say, okay, there's a knock on the door and I have to attend to that. I'll attend to it when I finish this. I can only do one thing at a time. Yes, I can walk and chew gum, but, you know, some of the things I can do at the same time. I can sweep the floor and sing a song. I can wash dishes and chant a mantra, but I can't do everything all at once. Things that take my attention, that require focus, that require understanding. I need to focus my attention on my objective, on my goal. So let's put it into the hierarchy of our goals, prioritize our functions, prioritize our tasks, become efficient, and then very, very quickly we can earn the privileges of doing different things. Om Sam Sarasvati Namaha Namaste.